Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Welcome to the Codish podcast. I'm Owen O from Heroku. Uh, with me today, uh, we have Mas Hall, an engineer also from Heroku. So we are going to talk about Terraform today. First of all, I guess, uh, what is Terraform? Ah, yes. So Terraform is a uh, open source product that's created by a company called HashiCorp. It's been around for a few years now, been growing up. I guess the best way to explain what Terraform is, is that it, it allows you to configure cloud resources, servers, services of different kinds uh, in this kind of brand neutral configuration format so that you can describe like a whole lot of infrastructure that you want to uh, have come together to like help you uh, build your product. And essentially, you can combine all of these things from different providers. So it's not like you're just picking like a Heroku configuration tool or uh, Amazon Web Services configuration tool. You're actually uh, configuring your systems in a way that uh, lets you kind of compose these services from different providers. Yeah, gotcha. So it's basically uh, infrastructure of code for across all the platforms. Exactly. Yeah, and infrastructure is code. I'm glad you said that. That's IAC is a very popular acronym for this. And basically it means that instead of like logging into the web console for Amazon Web Services and like clicking and like creating all your separate like resources and having to figure out uh, how it all fits together, and then maybe having to reproduce it again some other day. With uh, infrastructure as code, instead you actually describe your infrastructure, and you can check it in like a source code to say git, and then you use Terraform to execute this code, and it will create all of these things for you. So you can do it reproducibly, and that's the beautiful thing about infrastructure as code, is that it lets you treat your infrastructure like you do software, where you can test it and you can experiment with different uh, ways of putting it together and easily destroy it and recreate again. So this is an open source project, so everybody can make, make use of it for free, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So HashiCorp does have a, uh, an enterprise like premium version that you pay for, and it is a pretty cool product, but you can use Terraform fully without paying for it. Uh, really, the main thing is that when you run just the free version of Terraform, you're responsible for running Terraform like on your own computer or on a server of your own. Whereas with HashiCorp's enterprise product, they actually run it for you. But it's a great way to get into it uh, is, to, is to use the free version, yeah. So how does Terraform compare to other tools like Chef, Ansible or CloudFormation? I mean, each of those are, you know, they definitely allow you to describe infrastructure as code. Um, Chef is a much older technology. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with Chef, it basically lets you create these recipes in Ruby language, 
um, that you can execute and have it you know, create bootstrap servers. The thing is, is that um, it can be really hard to reason about what chef configurations do. Um, because it's it's not a declarative like simplified configuration format. It's a full blown programming language. Yeah, and if like that required the operator to learn Ruby. So if anyone doesn't have Ruby experience before, they have to learn Ruby just to use Chef. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And even for a Ruby expert, it can be really challenging to understand what a Chef config does. So that Chef then like with cloud formation, that's an AWS specific tool. Like that's. Amazon's own way to templatize infrastructure. And so, of course, the, a big advantage of Terraform is that you can use it with many different providers at the same time. Um, and yeah, and I mean, really, when you think about it, Terraform is, so its infrastructure is code. So like when you look at Ansible, for instance, that's actually a tool that's about uh, essentially provisioning like the state of your servers. So when you think about Terraform, it's usually more like, how do I put the right network pieces in place? How do I put the right servers in place? But Terraform doesn't answer how you like bootstrap the server and load your app onto it. Well, for most providers. For Heroku, we do provide that because that's the premise of the platform, but yeah. Yeah, we would definitely get into the uh, Terraform Heroku plugin in a bit. Um, so what do you think are a use case for Terraform? Really, like in my own work, I find it a super powerful tool. Instead of using like a provider directly, whether it's Heroku or uh, AWS, uh, I find it so much simpler to uh, essentially formulate like the the structure of the pieces that I need for a project as code and just you know, apply that with Terraform, it makes it so much easier to experiment with, with the structure of your infrastructure as you iterate and go through cycles of like understanding like how these things work together and, and how they work in the long term, you can like refine your configurations. And so really, I mean, if you're willing to learn it, which it is, it's really graceful to learn, like it's not super complicated. I find it's a great neutralizer for making it easy to uh, to experiment with platforms and understand how the pieces can fit together. Uh, and so, whether you're building a small project or you know you're part of a company, and I mean, this is a great example where it's like at many startups, like there's you know whoever puts the infrastructure together first spins up the servers, like it becomes this kind of big hodgepodge of things that can never be reproduced at some point. And if you begin a project like as a startup, if you just start from the get-go by provisioning things with Terraform and keeping your configurations in source control, then there's this tractability of like anybody that joins the company can can understand like what is the infrastructure and how can I change it and contribute to it. Whereas when you don't use Terraform or something like it, it can be really hard for new people that come to your team to understand like what is all the infrastructure and how do I change it? Yeah, definitely. So it provides a way for you to automate uh, your infrastructure uh, and also like kind of like more like it provides back for you know newcomer to learn about how how your application are deployed. Yeah, totally. 
So yeah, let's get into the community a little bit of Terraform. So you mentioned Terraform is an open source project. What is the community like? So uh, Terraform itself, core as they call it, is uh, it is open source. The primary contributors are our actual HashiCorp engineers on the Terraform team, um, but they are open to uh, to pull requests. So really, you know. Anybody can walk up if you're familiar with Go. All of this is written in the Go programming language. Um, you can walk up and like open a pull request to fix a bug or to add a feature. So my my own personal experience is that you know the HashiCorp team is very busy, and so it can take time to get feedback on things you want to contribute. Then when you step outside of Terraform core, so so the premise of Terraform is that there's this core engine that actually does like does the the work to like apply configurations and whatnot and then there are plugins and the plugins are called providers and the providers are things like the Heroku provider or the AWS provider or DNS simple provider and each of those are open source go language projects which are usually uh, so the community around each of those is really based on that platform. So like for Heroku, our provider, the community there are uh, Herokai, like myself and a, a few engineers that uh, from Salesforce. And so our, I would say that, you know, we've got a really responsive, friendly community around the Terraform provider, our Terraform provider. And then, you know, different ones, like if you were to approach the AWS provider, for example, it's... Uh, it is a huge provider because AWS is huge and there's a lot of people that contribute to it. And so that's, you know, another place where it's like the the community is really based on on who is actively working on it and who's like paying attention to GitHub and answering pull requests and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's say I want to fix a bug in the Heroku, uh, Terraform Heroku plugin. How should I get started? Yeah, well, uh, I so obviously uh, you need a GitHub account. <laughs> um, Everybody has a GitHub account now. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a GitHub account, go ahead and sign up. Take that step. The first advice would be just look at the issues we have open in GitHub on our current provider. There's a good chance that what you're interested in is already being talked about, or if you found a bug, there's a good chance we already know about it and it's accounted for there. And really, this is just good for any open source. Like before you open an issue, go look at the issues and see like are other people working on this. That being said, like you can pretty much clone down the repo, follow the instructions. Like we have a full acceptance test suite on it, so. To run that, you have to uh, have a Heroku account that you you know you essentially plug your your API key into the acceptance tests, and then the Terraform provider actually like tests itself by creating things in your Heroku account and verifying they're correct, and then destroying them. So it's pretty simple to uh, to work through solving, uh, adding features, and uh, and then you open a pull request, and uh, we'll review it. The HashiCorp folks themselves will sometimes review pull requests because all the providers, the official providers, are actually owned by HashiCorp. They're actually at the Terraform Providers GitHub org. Um, so yeah, so it's pretty pretty easy to contribute. Um, but definitely, before you spend 
time, like blood, sweat, and tears, like engineering a solution, open an issue and just check with us. Like, what do you think about this? Are you already focusing on something like this? And and we'll be uh, we'll give you feedback definitely. Yeah, sounds good. So, what would be a good channel to reach out to the、uh, to you guys? I mean, like, is a Slack channel or email would be preferred, or what would be what what would you prefer? I mean, the GitHub issues are are the way. Yeah, for sure. You can obviously probably track some of us down in other ways, but but if you want to talk about the Terraform provider, definitely open an issue, even if it's not literally a bug. Like if you just want to kind of, you know, open an issue that's like proposal. I want to add this kind of resource or this kind of feature. That's a great way to communicate with us. So now that we talk about the Heroku Terraform、uh, plugin. How does it work with the Heroku platform? How does it interact with it? Let's say I want to create an app. What is the flow like? Yeah, yeah. So、um, every Terraform provider is is really just an API client for for that business service, and、uh, and so in our case, it just talks to our GA platform API. And I say GA, the generally available one.、Um, that's What's at api.heroku.com, and it uses your、uh, API key. So you have to set an API key.、Uh, we do have a great Dev Center article at the Heroku Dev Center called "Using Terraform with Heroku," and that、uh, gives a great overview for how to set up the、uh, the provider. And then, yeah, in the case of say creating an app, like. You you might not need to Terraform just an app, but it's a great way to, like, get a feel for for how you can basically templatize your Heroku architecture, right? And so basically, you create a a, a, a main .tf Terraform file in a in on your computer, and you. Uh, you you declare that you want to use the Heroku provider,、uh, probably with a version, and then essentially you define a Heroku app and you give it a name and a region, and then you save that file and Terraform apply, and Terraform will say, "Hey, this is what I'm about to do to your infrastructure," and you want to review what it says, make sure you're not going to be destroying anything. Which, if you're just creating an app, you wouldn't be destroying anything. And then you type in yes, and Terraform begins its work, talking to the API to essentially make the resources in your account match what you have specified in your configuration. And、uh, something I should have mentioned earlier—it's really, honestly, one of the most beautiful things about Terraform—is that you can think of Terraform as a parallel execution tool. That when you declare this configuration of resources,、uh, some of the resources might depend on other resources, and so like if you have a Heroku app and you want to attach a Postgres database to it, then you specify a, a Heroku app resource and then a Heroku add-on resource, and Terraform. Understands because of the way that the provider is 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 structured that it has to create the app before it can create the add-on. Ah, I see. So Terraform internally will build a dependency graph for、mm -hmm. all the resources that you know constitute your deployments,、exactly. be that an app, an add-on, or maybe some other resources like S3, that kind of thing.、Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's really cool because as you as you get to more sophisticated architectures, what ends up happening is that you'll have you might have some resources like at Heroku we have private spaces. Those take about eight minutes to provision. We have uh, like Kafka clusters, and those can take eight ten minutes to provision. And uh, if though like if you have all these different resources, and they're not explicitly dependent or inferred dependent on each other, then Terraform can do those two things in parallel. So it can start provisioning a private space and start provisioning a Kafka cluster, and do that in parallel. And it's a really powerful tool. You can also explicitly label resources as dependent on other resources so that uh, in some cases, like there's dependencies that are, that are softer, that aren't explicit in the kind of way the provider is structured. So like a good example of that is like an app. If you provision an app, you might have another, uh, another resource that uses that app somehow. Um, a great example is that you could create a Heroku app that contains like an API gateway. And that API gateway, if you use a technology like maybe the Kong API gateway, it itself has a Terraform provider that you can configure it with. And so you might end up in a situation where you need to have Terraform create the Kong app, but then you don't want it to do anything like any of the Kong configuration until you know that API gateway has become alive and available. Mm. And so you can you can essentially create an explicit dependency with a condition where it will it will wait until it gets like a healthy response back from that app before it proceeds with doing more things. I see. So some of the uh, wearable are only available at runtime. Mm-hmm. For example, like the, the example that you mentioned, um, it requires an app to exist, and probably it talk to an an app URL. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, this is actually one of the really cool things about using Terraform with Heroku. And for a lot of other providers, you're really just creating infrastructure, and and you, you still have to use a tool, whether it's something like Ansible, which there are, there are Ansible integrations for Terraform provisioners, as they call them, um, in order to actually like make something run on your instance, like deploy an app to it. But with something like Heroku, because we have like, like literally building and running the app is a fundamental part of our platform, you can actually, yes, like provision like fully running apps directly with Terraform. How does Terraform help with multi-app systems? Because like at runtime team, we run into the problem all the time. So we have the same app that need to configure for different environments. For example, we have EU, we have US East, US West. Does Terraform help in this case? Yeah, so it definitely can. So one of the ways that it could it could help is if you if you actually want to like provision the same like system architecture multiple times into different regions. So in that case, you might have a configuration that uh, so all configurations take input variables. And those input variables can come from uh, options on the command line, or it can come from environment variables. Um, they can also come from external services that you, data sources that you query within your configuration. 
Um, but the gist is that you can have, you know, like pass in a variable, which is which region to deploy to or to provision this in. And so for US East, you have that, that region set. And then for whatever, US West, you set that region differently and you actually provision multiple instances of that configuration with different variables to put it in different places. We probably forgot to talk about uh, the language used behind Terraform. Ah, yes. It's a HashiCorp configuration language, yes. HCL. Tell me more about it. So first of all, I mentioned already that Terraform and the providers are written in Go. But as a user of Terraform, you actually, yeah, you don't actually ever touch Go unless you want to contribute to like Terraform. Um, if you just want to use Terraform, you're not going to have to use Go. You'll use HCL. And basically, uh, it's intended to be a declarative language. So what this means is that, for instance, it doesn't matter what order you put things in a Terraform configuration. You can, put, you can spread them across files. You can glom it all together in a single file. It doesn't actually matter because what this language is designed to do is to specify like this declarative set of resources that you want Terraform to figure out how to provision for you. And, uh, and so HashiCorp config lang is very approachable in an English way. Like it's very friendly to having comments. It's very friendly to, uh, as far as formatting goes, like it, it, it's not white space sensitive. Like you can pretty much lay it out however you want, but it does in a, what I think a beautiful modern trend is around, it has a Terraform FMT format command so that you don't really even have to think about how you write your syntax because there's a standardized way that it will reformat the syntax for you. Yeah, like that's kind of similar to GoFund, probably mm -hmm. borrow idea from for the Go language. Exactly. Also with JavaScript, like prettier, that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, well, why don't we switch track a little bit to talk about some of the best practices of using Terraform? Oh, definitely. There's a number of things. Some of them, some of the best practices really span whether you're using Heroku or not. Uh, and some of them are very Heroku specific. The first one I'm going to mention is probably the most important of all. In fact, I would elevated out of best practices to biggest warnings, but it's around uh, what we call config drift. And so what that refers to is that you specify like what you want your infrastructure to be configured like in your Terraform config, you apply it. But then what if someone like logs into your Heroku web console or uses the CLI and changes something? outside of Terraform. They just talk to the platform directly. Well, then the next time you try to apply a Terraform config, uh, you will experience config drift, which means that the configuration that Terraform expects is no longer true. It's no longer in place. And so you, if you have simple infrastructure, it can be pretty easy to get out of this kind of state. But if you're like, you know, on a team of people and you have like, you know, dozens or hundreds of resources that Terraform is provisioning, you can get into a situation where it's really hard to make Terraform work again without doing dangerous things to try to like make Terraform match what the new state of the world is. And so the best, the, the advice here, 
after that whole story is to express that when you use Terraform with Heroku or with AWS or any other provider, you need to take precautions that you don't change the resources directly with the provider, like through their web console and, and cause config drift. Um, there are some ways to do that in our Dev Center article about using Terraform with Heroku. We definitely guide through like setting up a separate Heroku team uh, to, to essentially contain everything that Terraform does for you so that like you and the people that you work with on your team can know like, oh, well this team, everything in it is managed by Terraform. So we don't, we only go through Terraform to change that stuff. Yeah, so rule number one, never change stuff outside of Terraform. I like it. <laughs> so what is the next uh, best practices? I'm looking at the, the best practices page right now. The second one is avoid renaming Terraform apps. Oh yeah. Well, this is, uh, so ever since uh, Heroku came about, like what, 10 years ago now? We have strived to be very, very friendly as far as, you know, when you're using our platform, we want to make everything feel as natural and simple as possible. And so from the get-go, we've really focused on uh, allowing you to address resources like your apps by their name. So this is a name that you give them. It can be up to, I believe, 30 characters long. Uh, and it's like this name becomes, when you have a Heroku app, it's like myapp.herokuapp.com. So you literally end up getting like a, a secure URL that includes this name in it. And so because of this, there is actually, even outside of Terraform, like if you rename a Heroku app that's part of a greater system that is in some ways using that app name as an identifier, obviously you're going to be breaking your system by renaming the Heroku app. And so this is just a best practice when you're using Terraform uh, because Terraform adds another level of trying to track the state and these IDs. And so you want to av avoid renaming your Heroku apps. Like you're better off destroying them with Terraform and then recreating them with a new name. Mm -hmm. What if I couldn't destroy the app? Can I, is that a manual way I can fix it? Yeah, so Terraform's really good at giving escape hatches for things like this. So the Terraform command line uh, offers a number of state functions. So you can do like Terraform state uh, show. You can actually remove things from Terraform state. Um, you can also, depending on how you're storing your state, like if you're just using the default file system state store, which is where when you run the Terraform command, uh, it writes .tf state files right there in the directory where you're running the command. And that's what actually tracks like all the IDs and relationships of the resources. So anyway, you can also end up just editing that state file directly to like search and replace like the old app name and putting the new app name in it. And that can frequently get you over this like hump, but we really don't want to advise people to manually edit Terraform state if possible, because it's just like, it's just dangerous. Like you can end up doing something to your infrastructure that you didn't mean to, you know, as an accident. Gotcha, so it's kind of like tied back to rule number one. <laughs> so always use Terraform to change your resource. If you're using Terraform, just use Terraform, yeah. So uh, there's a third best practices, use consistent name prefixes. Ah, uh, yes. 
So uh, once again, this is something that whether you're talking about AWS resources, GCP, Heroku, uh, one of the things that can be really confusing is if you have a configuration that has, you know, like names of resources, not just apps, but really anything that it creates. Um, Then if you like log into the web dashboard and you look at at what is in your account, it can be really hard to understand where these things came from. And so by like declaring a an input variable for your Terraform config that's like the prefix you want to use, and then for all of the resources that you create in that config, you just, you know, you code into the configuration that you want it to start with this prefix. Then when you like list your uh, you know your your Heroku apps uh, you can easily see, like, oh, this came from that Terraform configuration. So, yeah, it also has a secondary effect that it means if you apply the same configuration, like with different input variables, that those different sets of resources that are created can be easily distinguished from each other as well. The next one is, is a little bit Heroku-specific. Uh, is that use one Heroku team per Terraform config. Oh, yeah. I basically talked about this with the first best practice about config drift. Essentially, one of the more challenging things is if you're programmatically provisioning you know, these resources, you, uh, and you need to be careful of like not messing with them so that Terraform continues to work. Yeah, one of the best things you can do is just say, okay, like let's name a team like... My startup dash Terraform maybe is the name of the team. And then anyone that is looking at the Heroku dashboard on your team can easily see, like understand, oh, okay, everything in this team is actually managed by Terraform. And obviously you can do these things different ways, but these will just help you be most effective with Terraform. The next one, the next best practices is use provisioner health checks. Oh yeah, that's a cool one. You should really check out the uh, the Dev Center article to to see the code that's that's sampled there. But the gist of it is uh, like when I was mentioning that use case where you provision like an API gateway as an app, and you need to know that that app is ready before you can send configuration to it. Um, a provisioner health check. So Terraform provides these. Uh, they call them provisioners. And there are different types of provisioners, uh, but the idea is that it's a script that an ad hoc script that can be run against that resource uh, when when it after it has been created, but before Terraform considers it created. And so, uh, what that specific one is talking about is basically like for a, for a given Heroku app. Well, you actually usually put this kind of thing like maybe on the the formation, which designates the the actual uh, dynos containers that run your app, but you specify a provisioner that basically is just a loop that uses like the curl like HTTP command line tool to just hit the uh, like maybe the root or maybe there's a health check endpoint on the app, but it basically just keeps requesting that app until it gets a successful response, and then it can say okay successful, and then it lets Terraform proceed, knowing with confidence that that app is there and running. And so it can be a great way to ensure that like when, 
even if you're not doing something like that where you have an API gateway and you need to know it's it's up for Terraform to do more work, uh, provisioner health checks are also just great because it will mean that when Terraform apply completes, that you actually have, uh, you know that all of the elements are actually up and running. Yeah, that's a pretty nice trick to uh, make sure the app is healthy before proceeding with other uh, resource provisioning. So I can see that like you can write script like to warm up your JVM, that sort of thing as well. Exactly, yeah. All right, great. So if you want to know, learn more about all the best practices of using Terraform or Terraform, the Heroku plugin, uh, feel free to check out our Dapp Center article. So last question is, what is the roadmap look like for Terraform or Terraform, the Heroku plugin? It's really exciting. Terraform has been uh, working toward a really big release. Uh, currently, they're at version 0.11, and they've been working toward version 0.12. And one of the biggest changes uh, with Terraform is that they're actually uh, releasing an entirely new version of HCL, of the configuration language. And it's really exciting because while it's not purely backwards compatible, because of the way HCL is this very special, like domain-specific declarative language, it had a lot of limitations in its original version. And so this new version of HCL is going to make like uh, things that sound pretty fundamental, but things like uh, conditional statements and loops and using variables and interpolating values of different kinds, like it's all going to feel like much more like a first class language as opposed to being this kind of like special configuration language. So that's a that's a really exciting part of what's coming with Terraform point twelve. Another thing is that uh, at Heroku, uh, we contributed a new uh, state store, backend state store to Terraform, uh, which uses Postgres, which if you're- Excellent, <laughs> I like this. If you're familiar with Postgres, Heroku has an amazing uh, you know, hosted Postgres offering, Heroku Postgres. And, uh, and so like in all of my work with Terraform, I was experiencing this challenge over and over again where it's like, well, either I, I store the state locally on my computer and no one can collaborate with me on it, or I store it in the cloud and the, and the most typical way is using an S3 bucket and a DynamoDB table to manage locking. And that is like really awkward to set up every single time. Yeah, so you basically set up two things just to make sure you you know, AWS can store a state and with locking. Right, exactly. And uh, and especially if you're using Heroku, that means you're having to like also do like a separate AWS thing, which while you can Terraform it, it's actually would have to be a separate Terraform configuration. So because it's the thing that basically bootstraps Terraform being able to run. So, uh, so anyway, realize that there was a real opportunity to uh, make Postgres serve as a as a remote state store, and so that has been in in the two betas and the release candidate of uh, Terraform point twelve. Um, and so once that's released, uh, you'll be able to use Heroku Postgres as your state store, which is really nice. Yeah, pretty excited about it. So 
maybe dip a little bit, a tiny little bit of the detail of it. Does it use uh, the Postgres database log to log the, the state and stuff like that? Oh, you're getting into it. Yeah. So uh, actually, it took pull, two pull requests to get this through because because we realized there was an issue with with locking. But so t when we talk about locking, by the way, Terraform, um, when you are applying a configuration, Terraform has to keep track of all of these remote resource IDs and how they relate to each other by writing this state file, which is a blob of data. And if you have, if you're working on the local file system, like no big deal, it's just you. But as soon as you put it in a remote place and you have a team of people, there's a chance that several of you could Terraform apply at the same time. And then what happens? Well, that's what the locking is about, right? So basically, Terraform has this kind of application-level locking that if two people uh, both try to Terraform apply, one of them, only one of them will win. And basically, I'm not sure what all the behavior is around if it waits or if it just errors out, but the point is, is that it prevents you from having multiple people conflict. And, uh, and so the way we implemented that with, uh, with Postgres is using locking. Um, we use what are called session advisory locks. And so what this means is that it's just basically a, an integer ID lock that we have a specific way of, of picking which integer is the right one for the lock you're trying to take. But basically, when you Terraform apply, you'll, you'll get a lock, which is a session advisory lock, and you'll be able to operate. If someone else comes in, obviously that lock's already in place and it will fail, not allow them to proceed. Um, and then when you, when the, essentially when your changes, when the apply is complete, Terraform finishes storing the state and unlocks. Now, one of the coolest things about using Postgres this way is that unlike other locking mechanisms that you'll find with the other remote state stores, you'll never get into a state where you have to force unlock it. So like if you're using the S3 backend with the DynamoDB locking, if the client that has it locked goes away, like aborts, doesn't finish cleanly, disconnects from the network, that lock is just outstanding. And anyone, if to, to make changes, then someone has to force unlock it which of course is kind of scary because it's like, how do you know that that's not validly locked? And so with Postgres, because of the way it's sensitive to the client remaining connected, if when you're using the Postgres backend, if your client like drops away, the lock will actually uh, be released automatically by Postgres. Yeah, great, great. Definitely a great improvement against file locking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I heard story about like, uh, like someone pushed an unfinished Terraform changes, and the other person has to manually unlock it. Yeah, yeah, and once again, it's like the whole point of this, like infrastructure as code is really all about developing more trust in your infrastructure so that there's not a fear of changing it because that is one of the classic issues, right? Like once again, you have people set systems up and then, and then everyone becomes scared to touch them because you don't know what's going to happen if you change something. And so Terraform really helps you build that kind of team trust around knowing like this is what is configured, this is what's there. I can like experiment and and try like applying this configuration in my own environment, see how it works. 
before I actually roll it out to production. So what about the uh, Heroku provider? Anything new on the roadmap? Oh, on the Heroku provider. Well, uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I, I guess I can't. I don't think I can really talk about exactly what's coming up in the in our in our API. But we do have a, a few things that um, that are coming out later this year in the next few months uh, that will actually help us resolve some outstanding issues. That uh, if you if you look at the issues in our Heroku Terraform provider, you'll see that. Uh, a number of them are tagged as Heroku API support, and so we're coming up to a point where we'll be able to uh, implement a few things that have been desired. Um, but other than that, we're really just interested in continuing to spread the word about it, see how people use it, and uh, yeah, get feedback. And like, we haven't implemented the whole of the Heroku API in Terraform. We've implemented the things that we have needed and that other people have needed. But if there are pieces that come up that you're like, I can't believe this, you know, this thing is not available, uh, definitely please just once again open an issue, request it, or you know, talk to us about how you might want to implement it. So, if I start a new Heroku project today, should I go with Terraform? Uh, well, I would definitely say. Make sure you're comfortable with Terraform first. Uh, if you're getting started both with Heroku and with Terraform at the same time, um, it may feel a bit challenging because there's so much newness. But uh, I like I also find that Terraform is fantastic for actually helping to understand new providers that I haven't used before. Like my favorite example is AWS because there's so many things it does. Like if you want to figure out how to do something with a given resource, you have to like, you know, search online, try to find docs. Well, if you just look at the Terraform provider, it's like this catalog of all the interfaces, all the things you can create. So it definitely gives you this advantage to to being able to have this coherency around like what's available as far as resources go and how you can just put them together kind of like lego blocks right there in your in your terraform config so i like i personally like just start almost everything with terraform these days because as i was saying earlier it's like if you just start a project with it then your infrastructure is code just like the app you're writing and it can evolve and iterate over time and so if you're comfortable with the technology, or even if you're not fully comfortable, but if you you know you're starting to feel buy-in to it, I would say definitely like just get started with Terraform right out the gate. Thank you very much for joining us today, Moss. Thank you for sharing with us Terraform and uh, Terraform Heroku provider. Awesome. Thank you, Owen, for hosting this fantastic conversation, and uh, look forward to hearing from y'all uh, on the internet. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com/podcasts.